Welcome to the Go Time Podcast. Go Time Podcast. With your host, Todd Martin. Welcome back to the Go Time Podcast. We have Scott Estep. Is that how you pronounce your name? Estep? Estep, yes. Um, so I don't want to screw up what your title exactly is because <laughs> I'm like, what does he do? It's like, it's like an animal morgue kind of like, I don't know what. what he, so what is your, what is the officially the title? So I'm a veterinary pathologist. Um, so, um, and that's, you know, I went to veterinary school, spent a year as a cow doctor, then 20 years in the army. And then the army sent me to pathology training. So it's so three more years of school to be like a board certified veterinary pathologist. Really? So, so you got, you got the, the board certified pathologist part while you were in the military. Yes. And you spent 20 years in there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, so what, what was their purpose in sending you off to go and do that for? Well, the military, um, does a lot of research, animal research, um, like particularly, um, like, couple of the jobs that I had like when we invaded um, Iraq and they were collecting all of the soil samples and sending them back for testing um, that was at the Institute of Chemical Research um, where we are Institute of Chemical Defense Research um, so that's where um, so there are lots of different um, risk agents that the government's worried about that testing is done um, in like guinea pigs primarily. Yeah. Um, and so whenever the studies are done, the pathologist actually does the autopsies on the animals and looks at the slides and said, this did this, this did something different. So we kind of assess that. So we're, um, most of the research in the military is done on animals. Um, as a veterinarian, I kind of am a two-sided because I kind of make sure the animals are taken well care of make sure that they're not wasted you know that and and that their pain control is done right so i'm a veterinarian first but then when the study's over then i'm you know making sure that are evaluating the tissues and seeing what a different product did and what what it didn't do wow that's a trip huh um so is that is so is there much of a reason for like a, a veterinarian in the uh <clears throat> civilian life to to go to learn how to be to learn pathology well most um, veterinary pathologists and probably about 50 50 about half of them work in research so all of the i mean even like the covid 19 vaccine research all started in in a monkey model and and so um so about half of the people who are pathologists um do medical research and then the other half do diagnostic work so um they'll do you know you cut a tumor off of your dog and you know at the veterinary clinic they send it to the lab for testing then oh. it's evaluated by a veterinary pathologist so oh that makes sense i kind of swim in the middle i still um when i retired from the military where i did research mm -hmm. i started a diagnostic pathology company and so i do you know pet biopsies as well as animal autopsies and figuring out why animals die um even like this morning, the Austin police brought me a dog that was potentially, you know, um, animal cruelty case. And so, you know, so I oh, wow. do kind of everything from kind of animal cruelty to even herd health. You know, if you have 
a bunch of cows and one of them dies, you know, it, if you're worried about your other cows, you, know, you need, you know, they do autopsies for that. So I just never thought about there being a specialist in, in that field. Like, I guess it just, it just never dawned on me that there would be, you know, to go that route. And I think that's probably one of the most fascinating thing about jobs. Like I love jobs. Yeah. I love learning about different people's jobs and stuff. And mostly because <clears throat> I always like hearing the stories about what, so what made you go that route? Like what, who, I didn't even know that existed. Right. Yeah. And, Growing up as a kid, um, I, I liked animals, I liked horses and doing that kind of stuff, but I had no idea that you could, people would pay you to ride horses, you know? And then whenever I found out that you could actually make a living doing it, it was like a, just a mind blow and then horse show and then everything else. And so it just kind of like opened a whole new world to me. And it's always, I was always the kid that walked, you know, that there wasn't a whole lot of people that lived around us. And then when I go to town and, and I remember telling my wife one time, we went up and visit her up in her family up in Dallas. And I was just amazed at the number of houses. And all I could think of was like, what do all these people do? Like, is there that many jobs around to like employ all those people? Um, and so just the vast array of jobs, you know, really always is, is interesting to me. Um, and I did, and then there's so many different facets of what, a veterinary pathologist and like that and even think about that i would have thought that most of the if you're doing like studying disease or something that you would have a, a medical doctor uh, you know a human right. uh, pathologist that would be doing that but it, it makes sense that you would need a veterinarian to be doing it yeah human i mean even human pathologists are so incre incredibly specialized to one species um yeah. and so um you know, there's the difference between dogs and cats and horses, and and it's even funny when they write, you know, veterinary books. They'll write, you know, pathology of dogs and cats, but truth is, dogs and cats are like completely unrelated. There's right. more things that have cats are like horses. They should write, you know, tumors of cats and horses because <laughs> a lot of them are similar. It's yeah. very interesting that yeah. the cat actually has a lot of the same stuff as a horse does. So, um, you know, it's a, it's very um, diverse, you know. And that so, is really so, wild that you know, a cat and a horse have more things in common. Yeah, certainly more than a dog and a cat. So it really does make for, um, you know, and certainly there are some human um, pathologists who, you know, MD pathologists who will kind of do some diagnostic stuff and things. But, but it's um, in human medicine, it's great because they can say, well, we looked at a hundred thousand of these mammary tumors that were like this cell type. And we know that, you know, that they lived this many years afterwards and this treatment worked. And, you know, in veterinary medicine, there's just like so many different species and there's like it's hard to control it and they're not all treated. And so they have very specific knowledge on every single tumor. But then when you talk about different species, it's just, you know, it's it's out the door. It's, so it's, it can't so completely different. Yeah. And yeah. you can't even say even the same tumor in two different animals is has a totally different behavior so you can't really yeah you can't really just say oh well it's a it's a mast cell tumor um which is a, kind of the the tumors that make when you get stung by or the cells when you get stung by a bee and it all swells up that's because these mast cells are in your skin so sometimes those mast cells turn into a tumor and in a dog they can be really bad in cats they kind of they'll even go away on their own sometimes so you know it, it's really it's just completely different tumors wow that's yeah. fascinating so, um, so what do you stick to a certain species that you, that you do your pathology work on? Um, I do absolutely everything. I try not to do fish. <laughs> I say me doing fish is malpractice. So I, I try not to do fish. 
I do some snakes because um, I do a lot of zoo animal support. Right. Um, and in fact, like three weeks ago, I did an autopsy on an elephant, you know, here in San Antonio. Oh, really? And so, um, so it really everything, but vast majority of what I do is dogs and cats, just because that's what the pet population is. Um, huh. So, um, on the zoo part, do you see a difference in, um, in like tumors or the presence of some of those things in in those animals that are in captivity versus the ones that are not well yes you do but it's a weird thing because you see tumors in captive animals um but like per se this elephant that i did the autopsy on was 52 years old wow um in captivity you know 45 is old so this one was really old um, in the wild, if they live 35 years, that's a long time. And so what happens with a lot of zoo animals is they may live twice the normal lifespan. So you see a lot of tumors, you know, in, you know, you can have a 50 year old hippopotamus that might have a tumor, but in the wild, it would have never made it to 50. So, uh -huh. so it's not really that there's more tumors because they're in captivity it's they just live longer you know in the wild you show weakness you get eaten yeah there's not much of a threat <clears throat> right and so any kind of cancer any kind of a foot infection and you die in the wild right so the animals in captivity have a longer much longer lifespan so they do get more cancer um but it's just just like we get you know the older we get the bigger the chance we have it so. yeah huh that's fascinating yeah um so what what was so you, do you have like a weirdest case that you ever handled? Um, weirdest. I've done a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> I've had some really cool cases. I mean, like uh, when I was in the residency, there was the the panda, um, Ling Ling and Sing Sing. The Sing Sing was the given to Reagan. Um, yeah. to Nixon by the ruler of China. Yeah. You know, and when it was given to Nixon, yeah. So when the when it died, I did the autopsy on really? on, on that one, yeah. So that was just, you know, it's probably the highest profile animal that I've done and I've done a couple of shamus and um you know, a lot of the Oh, that's got to be wild. It is a trip, yeah. <laughs> Those... That's got to be really wild. So like there's not a whole lot of reference to Well, and other than, you know, there are similarities in, in all of those things. And so um, it is really cool, though. The the, the people, like for the whales um, from SeaWorld, they actually went to um, up with the Inuit Indians and learned how they, like, actually cut a, a whale up for, like, eating and food right. processing and things. And so... Um, it, and so they, you know, kind of introduced me to this kind of system. They just kind of, kind of make a grid of like 24 inch squares. And that's about 50 pounds, you know, with the eight inch blubber and everything, you just Whoa. cut the skin and you just kind of take the grid off. And then, then you're able to get down to the other tissues. But then whales have almost nothing. They have no gut system at all, hardly because they just eat straight protein. They're just eating fish and, you know, straight protein. And so, so they don't have like like cows and horses with this super long intestines for making grass into nutrients. Um, so oh, they, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so are, huh, is that mostly the, uh, like mammal fish? I got the better term. <laughs> Marine mammals. Marine mammals. <laughs> um, it's, it is, it is in 
I mean, it's kind of a thing that goes across all species. You can kind of look at, say, a tiger, um, which is carnivore, strict carnivore, and they have fairly short, small intestine and kind of a simple gut system. And so huh. mostly what you see is muscle. When you look at them, you know, it's frame and muscle and not a lot of GI system. Whereas you look at a cow and, and they're all GI system because they're taking the worst forage possible and making it into protein. So, oh, wow. And so it's the same thing. You can go into, if you look at a fish that only really eats like grasses and things like that, it's, they have a different, you know, more developed GI system than say a fish that only eats other fish, you know, so it's really? kind of, it's kind of across all species. Huh. I never even considered that. Yeah. That's something I've never, I, I not thought of. I mean, there's a lot. Of, I, I really, that's one of my favorite things is kind of the comparative anatomy thing. And, and like, I really like eyeballs. And so I, I do a lot of ocular pathology. And so, um, and so you think, you know, okay, like an eagle, you know, is going to have this like unreal, you know, eye because they can see, yeah, you know, it's so that you can look at the layers of their retina and see kind of how developed their eye is. And so you'd say, you can kind of say, you see, okay, this animal had like really keen eyesight and they even actually have an extra structure in their eye because it, when they're dropping from high altitude, you know, they're dropping in like at super high speeds, just the pressure change and everything else can like mess with your vision and so they're doing it in such few seconds so they have an extra vessel that runs through the middle of their eye to supply their eye with oxygen while they're to counter know, the balance of like like the g-force or is it the, because of the force and and just the speed and the wind and everything else i never I mean, thought about that if they're diving that fast and that much wind coming into their eye it would have to distort their lens yeah too. and so they have these really cool structures that kind of help That's their crazy. eye work but then you look at like a um a prairie dog and you think, well, a prairie dog lives under the ground, you know, and so prairie dog would have a simple eye, you would think, except for prairie dogs get eaten by eagles. <laughs> and so <laughs> if you look at the retina of a prairie dog, it almost looks exactly the same as the eagle or, you know, a hawk because really? they need to be able to see that eagle <laughs> that's way up there in the sky. And so it's really kind of cool that sometimes that's really cool. The, the prey and the predator actually have like equal tools you know it's like a fair, a fair fight you know <laughs> i would never thought about that that's fascinating yeah it's really cool stuff that is really cool well the eye is such a fascinating organ period it, it is yeah that's a really cool one yeah. i mean just to think about how what all it does and what you know the signal that it sends and how we even know what we're seeing yeah, yeah. baffles your mind right? right i mean like I've often thought, you know, like, do I really see you the way you think you see you? And, yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah. like, it's just what my brain interprets of what right. I see. What right? really is blue? You yeah, know, it, it's exactly. what everybody always told you is blue, which is what you see. But it, who's knows that's really the same thing? Oh, so, yeah. That's got to be. Sure. And then, then until you know, like my son, who's uh, there's a couple of colors that he can't see until he's you know, we're talking to him, and you're like, it's you know, I think it's green or blue, one of those. Yeah. <laughs> but he's you know has a hard time seeing. I'm like, how do you not see that? Yeah. Oh. He can't see that color, and then yeah. you're like, I wonder why. Yeah, you know, and, and and to talk to him about it, it's kind of wild to see what he sees whenever he sees it. Right. right. Yeah, that's fascinating. That so, um, so when have you used that? When like have you had the opportunity to like to to use that to I don't know to diagnose anything on the eye? Um, no, not so much. You know, I mean, it, it it's it kind of does help a little bit when you're looking at a bunch of different species to kind of 
think about what you might expect in that species because you know so how do you know if a, if the retina is atrophied because of disease or if that's what a retina looks like in an elephant you know mm. so because their their eyes are in an elephant are fairly simple and so they don't have like unreal eyesight you know why do they need it you know who's going to sneak up on I me mean, what does it matter you know and so so there are um so you can kind of say okay a cow can't run that fast. It can't, you know, so really what good is their vision? You know, so the, so that you can kind of expect that herbivore eyes are going to look about like this. So if you do see one that's like, oh, those layers look really thin. So you can say, oh, this is an ocular disease. You know, something has happened in this eye. So, huh. so um, I'm curious about the difference in the, in the eyes of a like say a herbivore versus a, a, a carnivore, like that have them on the facing in the front and how they see and then having them on the sides of their heads, like if, uh, the process of that, like that's right. always fascinating well, yeah. because I train horses. Right, right, right. That's something right. kind of pertinent. And right. that's, that is an interesting thing, you know, when you say how we, we, we kind of put humanness on everything. So just like you think yeah. you see how the colors like your son does, but he doesn't. You know, imagine that horses almost have like two totally different images. You know, right. we're at we the have same one time. image, right? And they really have, they're really watching two TV screens at all times, it's like two computer screens. You know, yeah. they're because they're it's barely even you know blended together. In yeah, world. exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So then, how what how what and and then so if you're if you're not a horse person, that whenever you're training and you're teaching a horse. Um, one of the things that you have to do when you're training and teaching horses, you have to teach one side. And then when you get everything taught on the left side or whatever it is that you want to teach, you're te teaching something for the day on the left side, you have to train the right side completely independent because it, it oddly enough, from the left side, they interpret nothing that's on the right. So it has to be retaught and, and taught along on the right. So they can get every really, you know, left brain, right brain, you know, when they're working. And um, so do you see anything different in the the herbivore eye or the, the predator eye versus the prey eye? Um, you know, no, other than just like I said, in the eagles, they have the extra vascular structures just to kind of to adapt to their situation. But as far as, um, you know, and, and even how that interacts with the brain and stuff, it all mostly seems the same. I mean, I haven't gone huh. into it to that depth. So Yeah, I was just, so, huh, that's kind of wild to figure out, to just... Just contemplate that, I mean, right? I, and I mean, other structures are like that too. I mean, the, the teeth are very similar as well, you know. So I can actually have a set of different skulls that I've cleaned and collected over the years, and, and I'll take them to the grade school, right, and show them, you know, comparative, um, you know, dentistry. And so you could take like the teeth of a tiger, these big fangs and these scissor-like, you know, you know, molars. Uh -huh. Molars are all more like scissors than they are grinders and you can take you know the head of a deer and show that they have just these scissor you know the blades in front for the scissoring the grass but then you know then everything back here's all grinders and so then you can take a monkey well some monkeys eat plants and some monkeys eat other monkeys and snakes and things and so you can show you know and just show the you know kids the teeth you like so what does this animal eat and if they've got big fangs and scissory teeth you can say okay this is probably a carnivore it eats snakes and other monkeys and things you know versus the other one no fangs at all complete grinders you know and so you can tell that monkey is is, is a plant only monkey you know so you can um, look at i mean it really all the anatomy really speaks to the purpose of the animal you know what it does yeah that is always really kind of cool um 
so is there any other species that has an interdental gap like the horse does? Um, I don't know that. Huh. I never thought about it. Just being <laughs> about the teeth yeah. and the way that they, um, and the way that they work. Huh. That's kind of wild. I just wondered about that. Huh. Um, yeah, that's kind of the way that the teeth, because before we, <clears throat> in years past, we didn't, um, we didn't really float teeth. And so uh, we had a different style or you, know, you kind of went through a different regimen of bits and bridles and stuff. And we would do the snaffle bit and then we'd go from a snaffle bit to a hackamore. And the whole purpose in behind using the hackmore was that we would get out of the mouth while the teeth are changing and while they're shedding teeth. And so between that end of the two, three year old to like five when they were shedding those sets of molars and those and those front teeth and stuff, we got out of it and you worked off of the nerves that run along the mandibular bone. Right, right. And uh, and you'd work that and you teach your horse how to reuse and work with that. And then you'd go introduce the bridle and you do with like a double bridle where you do a hackamore and a mm -hmm. bridle and work that and then move into your bridle yeah. and bridle work. But that was the whole purpose in doing all that was to get out of the mouth while all that was changing. And right. now we, now there's a lot more of, I, my favorite and it's a lot because the horses that i used to work on in college i was always my objective was selling them as kid horses yeah and so i always only used a bosal because with the bosley i was able to basically make a horse that you could ride just as well with a halter on yeah. as, as a bit i just found too many kids pulling on the bit too much irritating the horse and stuff and so i really liked to teach a horse to be very subtle you know supple in the face off of the bosal and then then when the kids would come out to ride them, I'd just say, here, just wrap the lead rope around and throw them on them bareback and they could ride them around and lope them and trotting them and everything. And, and, and then they sell, <laughs> you know, yeah. immediately because, <laughs> because they had just had such a supple face. And, and that's what I find that kids do so badly is just they're working that bit too much and the horse gets irritated. No, that's the fastest way to untrain anything is put your kids with them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, um, so do you, um, now you work as your own independent, um, uh, so do you do most of your field work? Do you do most of the work in the field or do you have a you know, pathology lab at your house? Um, well, so I, I, there's, there is a kind of a process in pathology where it takes a lot of chemicals and machines and all of that stuff. So just to take it, go from a piece of tissue to a slide that's stained that I can look at on a microscope. And so I have, there's a, a commercial lab in town, this human pathology lab that makes, that takes them and goes from the tissue to the slide for me. Oh. Um, and that's just, I mean, I retired from the military in 13 and loved the military. I mean, they gave me so much and, and I just, I, I still feel a great debt to the military. Yeah. But they also, um, you know, when I got out, I really didn't want to, have a bunch of people working for me and I just wanted to be as simple as can be. So my company, um, I have like six pathologists who work for me, um, some full-time, some part-time, but the, they're all just contractors. So I really have no employees and yeah. I have no managerial really responsibility other than, Hey, I gave you that case. Where's the report? You know, that's it. And, yeah. and, and I don't even have to do that because that's fairly simple. So, huh. um, I just, so by having a commercial lab make my slides for me, then I, I don't have to have 
of somebody to answer the phone and somebody to receive the tissues and somebody to you know process them and do all of that stuff. Yeah. So that just all of those employees belong to somebody else, and I don't have to manage them. It's kind of nice. <laughs> it is managing <clears throat> yourself and just as a, a limited crew is a much easier way to do. Uh, that's the same thing with you know where I'm at in, in my deal now. It's I had assistants and I had you know too many horses to ride and train and you know and going and i think there was a point where i had to be that busy to get enough knowledge Mm -hmm. you know to be proficient at my job i had to know enough i had to have met enough horses trained enough horses to know a good one from a bad one and a talented one from a not so talented one and decipher the difference right Right. i had to get some kind of uh discernment and right. discernment's really kind of earned it's not just like well, they just give it to you well it's it's some of both though because yeah. honestly for you to be where you are um, you 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 had to have been the upper one percent of natural ability with it in the first place but you had to find what that was i mean you still yeah. have to we all have natural abilities but they still have to be discovered you know? yeah they're not like natural and given to you what they are at the same yeah. time so yeah no i i i think that um I think there's definitely, uh, uh, you know, I, I have a, I have a, I have a way with horses or I have a, you know, I have that desire, I have that in me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I see that in some of my kids, you know, a couple my daughter, my youngest one, she really is, you know, she likes them and really is enjoying them. She's a horse kid. And I don't think my, um, my oldest son, I don't think you could make him a horse kid, mm-hmm. you know, and just, it's just, it's not there. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and I, I see that, but I think uh, to get the the reference of, of knowledge, you know, I think you have to go so big at some right, part. Right. And then you hit a part in your life where you kind of like, okay, so so now I've done that and really all I've done is answer more phone calls and, you know, push more papers and mm-hmm. do more things and keep myself more busy because I didn't really make that much more money or anything like that. I just had bigger bills and, mm-hmm. you know, more stuff going in and out the, the door um, to eventually get to a point where it's kind of nice when you go like, oh, I just meant to make it simple and right. just rely on myself. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and it's, I mean, you've, you're very fortunate to do something that you love and you're passionate about. Yeah. And and that's that's really a, a small, I mean, there's people, you know, the numbers, they say, you know, 70% of people um, enjoy their job, but really people who are like passionate about what to do is in the one or two percentile. You know, it's not very yeah. many people who are just, would if you talk to them after you finish talking to him, you're like, I want to be a veterinary pathologist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because <laughs> because they're like really excited about it, you know. And yeah. and and it's very fortunate. I mean, you're fortunate that you kind of found that thing that you're excited about. And and for me, it's was such a crazy system that got me to pathology in the first place. And it's like what my brain was designed to do, you know. And so oh. I, I love it, you know. And it's just. It's just solving puzzles in my head all day. And that's, you know, when I was in school, you know, grade school, I had serious dyslexia and learning disabilities and, and problems. And the, um, you know, they sent me to the special school and, and, and all that. And they, you know, there they would like, you know, test me and do all these things. Like, oh, hey, you're not stupid. Which was good for me to hear when I was in the third grade you, yeah. you, that you're not stupid. There's just there's a mismatch between your ability and 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 your performance. And so um, I kind of really held on to that as a as a kid. You know, okay, I'm not stupid. I just can't learn the way they're learning it. And and so 
you know, they would actually have me like do puzzles and solve puzzles. And I could solve any of those little things, you know, at, at Bucky's, those little, you know, <laughs> horseshoe puzzles. Those yeah. are like simple for me. It's always really. And so, um, so then to go through kind of my life, I mean, even going to vet school was really kind of the Lord telling me, Hey, you're going to, you're going to go to vet school. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And, and then you know, like through each step of it and then getting into pathology where it's a whole job where my entire purpose in life is to solve, is to solve puzzles. And, and, uh. and that's like what my, my brain's totally defective, but it was, des- <laughs> but it's perfect, you know, but it's next level at solving problems. And so then uh-huh. I found a, a profession to where, that's all I do all day is I just, I just add up this fact and this fact and this fact and, and say, oh, that's this, you know. So I was very fortunate. Hmm. That's really cool. That's, um, you know, I think that's that's a, a crazy deal that, you know, I think the one percent, the the one percenter um, is, is almost the one that realized they could. You know, I mean, you know, just thinking about had somebody not said that to you, had they not taken the time to, you know, you know, they put you in the other class and they, you know, and you didn't have that person tell you, no, you know, you're like, you're not, that's, that's not it. You know, then, you know, you, I think we run around with such labels and we can Mm -hmm. label ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I, you know, we talked about that before, or I've said that before about um <clears throat> names are so important right yeah. names are like names are so important and and when you're labeling or telling somebody or like you know that that even with your kids you know it's so important what you say and 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 i don't know our creator does the same thing right right you know, he like he there's an importance of why he calls himself a father right i mean he refers to himself that way you know but um i don't know that's kind of cool, though, that somebody took, you know, that and, and that you recognize it, right? Yeah, and well, and that's what it is, because our life is full of tons of labels, and everybody else puts them out there, and we get to accept some of them yeah. and, and decline some of them. And so, lots of people told me I'm stupid. I mean, probably a hundred times more people told me I was stupid than the guy that told me, you know, you're not stupid. And my mom always really believed in me and and those knew, moms are knew, good aren't they i was i mean and she even like convinced me that i was special you know yeah everybody said i was special <laughs> but, but she didn't mean special ed she meant the real special so but it really you know for you know that's that's what life is you know we become the labels that we accept you know that yeah. people are putting on us you know and, well that's profound we are what, what the labels that we accept yeah because you had the choice of accepting that yeah. too, right? I remember I, I, um, uh, there, and I process it different. I remember being told one time that um, when I was starting out, I really wanted to, you know, I was like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I can't wait. I want to be a horse. <laughs> I want to be a horse trainer. Right? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to ride horses. I'm going to train horses. And, um, and I remember a, a, a guy one time, um, I heard through a friend, and, and I could, I considered the guy a friend. Um, I guess maybe not, but, um, but he, uh, they came back and, and then said, you know, Hey, so-and-so says you're a, uh, you're just a wannabe. <clears throat> right. And then, you know, and I, and I, I could have accepted it or I could have, you know, what, what my decision of what to do with that was my decision. Right. And my, and my re- response. And I think it's like a little bit of my own, 
the way I think of things and the way I do things. I have, I'm, um, I'm kind of defiant. And, and it works. Sometimes it works in my favor and sometimes it doesn't. And uh, my first reaction right back was, I'm not a wannabe. I'm a gonna be. And you'll watch. Yeah. And uh, and it was almost like what lit my fire even more. They're like, oh, man, I'm, you just watch. Right. Yeah. Let me show you what 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 I am. Um, and I think certain people react that certain way, too. You know, you can accept that. <laughs> but it is. It's accepting that label. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that was, you know, for me. Like high school, I was, you know, 15, 16 is when I really started riding horses, really got involved in horses. And we had moved from northern Oklahoma to southern Oklahoma to this little 1,500-person town, Tishomingo, Oklahoma. And most of my high school class had been together since kindergarten, you know. <laughs> it was like 40 out of 53 of us or 56 of us, whatever the number were, were had been there since grade school all the way up to high school and so i wasn't really accepted and mm. you know some new people would come into town but they were like stud football players you know yeah. and so they yeah. were accepted you know and some were just you know handsome you know they're just somehow they stood out they were they were um book smart you know where they at least they fit into the smart group you know right and, and I couldn't read out loud, so I, you know, I didn't fit in the smart group. That but I, terrible I might could have done it, you know. But I, I just, I just, the reading thing is what people see of your intelligence. Oh, you know? Isn't it terrible? So, like, oh, to be called yeah. out to yeah. read out loud—it was always oh, such a deal. Like I could feel my body just start to boil. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I <clears throat> totally in. And if that wasn't bad enough already, I mean, honestly, my freshman year in high school. Um, the English teacher were reading some play or something, and I was, I was still. All the way through middle school and grade school, I was in special classes, and so I was reading C. Dick Throw the Ball. I mean, and I love, had some great, like, the, the LD teachers were amazing, and they were supportive, but it really didn't, like, set me on this path to, like, catch up. It, like, held me at third grade reading level until I finally said, no, I can't, I need to go on to regular school. I mean, I've literally sat in the office instead of going to class, because I wouldn't go to the LD classes anymore. Really? And so then they put me in and, and now I have to read Shakespeare. <laughs> you know, so I went from <laughs> C-Dick, throw the ball to Shakespeare. And the teacher um, said, you know, here, you know, Scott, you read this part. It was a small part, you know, but one of the guys there in my class was like, uh, don't let him read. He's a retard, you know? Oh. And, and, you know, that was a long time ago and it's still pretty fresh, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and so I was, um, yeah, I mean, that, you know, it's a tough struggle for me as when I went into high school and I started reading horse, riding horses and, and I had that same thing I started, you know, immediately, you know, cause you're poor. So you start riding stupid horses, you know, almost <laughs> immediately. And, and, and I was, I think, blessed with the ability to know the difference between a, a stupid horse and a horse that's been done stupid, you know? Yeah. And, and so I could see a horse and say, yeah, I can do something with that horse. And I was never really wrong. So to me, that was something natural that was inside me that allowed me to know what was a, a broken horse versus a horse that was not right. <laughs> you know, yeah. we know there's horses that are out there. There are there. I had, my dad <laughs> bought this Appaloosa once that almost killed me like three times because that thing was stupid. He <laughs> was just retarded, you know? It's so, so funny. Dad's buying stuff. <laughs> my dad, first horse my dad bought me was a little Shetland pony. 
and her name was Babe, and she about tried to kill me, like didn't take me off on a couple of different trees yeah, and yeah. whatever else. And the second horse my dad bought me was, and I was like, the second horse I was like, I think I was like nine, something like that, and he bought me a paint stud. <laughs> And, yeah. um, and if so, if that wasn't bad enough, the third horse we got was when we bred the Shetland pony to be <laughs> the best <time>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and That was my third horse. So now, you know, like yeah. Yeah. I was, I was surrounded by stupid yeah. <laughs> for a while. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, through high school, they really, I started getting into horses and started breaking horses and I'm, my parents bought this 14, 15 month old appendix registered you know shell out racehorse because the feet all pointed different directions you know and so his lure his registered name was crazy legs pete because every foot pointed a different direction and and that, you they, know, that they took the time to register it yeah yeah and well he was fast i mean it, wow. once because so we got him and and he also got into a fence and got all cut up and i mean he had, it was all scars by the time we bought him but he'd been um, that was kind of my first real horse to like break and train. And so I worked with him and there was a horse training program at the local junior college and we sent huh. him out there for a semester and the kid there really kind of more messed him up than fixed him. Yeah. And so then I got him back and that was like my, my true lifetime horse, crazy legs Pete. And that horse was, I mean, could do anything. I mean, and I, like even had like a trick routine that I would do at the local rodeos and stuff because I could just set him at a lope. I could jump off of him, run across the other side of the arena and jump back on him. And he's never, you know, he just, never miss a beat. you know, he never, and, and he was awesome. He was also like the fastest horse in the County. And I had so such a good time on him and he would, I mean, it would, like the, the parades, I would usually stand up and, you know, stand up in the saddle and ride, you know, right down through the middle of the parade with everything crazy going on and everything. But then that actually became an identity for me whenever, you know, sports and, and you know, intelligence and looks and all that stuff mm-hmm. was, couldn't be. Right. Um, but I did have, you know, some people are like, who do you, what could you even know you're just a kid, you know, but... You know, I, I was able to do it. I was able to kind of listen and hear, you know, the horses and, and understand what to do with them. So uh, horses saved me. I mean, I think wow. the reason I am a doctor and, you know, own a couple of businesses and, and, you know, is basically, you hate to describe yourself as successful, but yeah, the reason I am, <clears throat> really, right. I tie it back to that time to where, you know, I was on the... I was on the pommel and I could have fallen off to the left or fallen off to the right. And, and I really think the horses are what, you know, really got me through that time and said, okay, there's something different about you. There's something, you know, successful. Whatever yeah. people are saying doesn't really matter. And when it came to a horse, nobody could, nobody could best me either. So, you know, that was, mm. it really, it was such an important thing. And honestly, I own two horses now. I told you they're completely rotten. But it's because I like feel I owe this debt to yeah. to horses for my life, you know. So I I feed a couple of horses. <laughs> they're, they're, they're barely rideable. They're beautiful, you know. They're, they're great pasture statues. They're really good at what they do, which is stand in the pasture. But but I I I really just keep them because it's just I feel a debt to horses, and so I, that's it's funny. Know. I feel kind of the same way about. Um, 
like getting to share, like I, I love to share with people about, you know, like how, like we talking with earlier, just, you know, like how they work and how they operate. And for someone who's not been around horses or not done anything, it's almost like they, it blows their mind that you can do all those things, right? That you actually communicate with them and that it's a relationship and that it's not just, you know, some, you know, stock that you drag around kind of deal, but that there's actually interaction yeah. and, and a communication through, through them. And, um, and that's where I think a lot of times parents miss the boat on why we show horses, why we take these kids to go and teach them how to ride and, you know, oh, you know, we're going to, you know, whatever your discipline is. I mean, it could be barrel racing. It could be, you know, uh, pick up sticks. I don't know. doesn't matter what it is, right? But whatever it is that you're doing with the horse, it's not what you're doing with the horse. It's what you're using the horse to teach the kid and, and like opening doors like opening their minds to create like how it all works like there's so much truth in creation i think it's just fascinating right and get to share that with people that it and 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 why do you send your kid over here to come and ride and you know once twice a week and what you're doing it's like man i'm not investing in that horse i'm investing in the kid right, right? and you know the struggles is is just as important as the success of winning in the show pen like i want to win too right i mean i'm all about winning but at the same time, like, what's the big win? Like, the big win is that we, you know, we got through to your kid and we got, you know, we moved to the next level. That's what, like, that's what they lend so much to. Right. And, uh, I, and I, I do think it, the, the horse is an amazing device for that. Yeah. For, for, and for some, for some kids showing that they just don't got it, you know, that's not their <laughs> device, you know, but yeah. for many kids, and that's why I think, you know, as therapy horses and with kids with special needs and those kind of things, why horses can be so, you know, cause you know, you're, you know, we think that just walking is easy when you take somebody just kind of this spasticness between your brain and your legs and you could get on a horse and, and do this and it goes all the directions just smoothly. It, it, it really is a great device to kind of, you know, show people that they can you know you can do things that you didn't think you could do and, yeah and it's just when you got something that outweighs you by 10 times you know it's just real easy as a kid <laughs> to sit on a horse and understand you know that it's work but it's also kind of power and oh, and, yeah. the, and when you take someone who's been powerless their whole life and they can sit on a, they can sit on a thousand pounds of horse that's awesome you yeah know, they can they can do it Huh. That's pretty cool. That's really something that that's, you know, that's how much of an impact it had on, on you and on what you're, you know, what you've accomplished and what you've done. That's fascinating. Um, I'm still fat. I'm still keep going back to the eye. The eye is so crazy. Cool. Um, so, um, so you do all different species too. So you do, um, I think you said once about, uh, that you like even worked on an alligator too re not too recently yeah yeah i did well it was a caiman which is a type of the same crocodile family yeah. but yeah it was um I've, I've done just about everything i mean I, my list of things i haven't done is getting much shorter than the things that, that i have so this and that's uh, to me it's just fortunate you know just been in the right place and had the right relationships um and the willingness to do it. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of an oddball. I mean, there's only like 1,500 pathologists in the world, veterinary pathologists, and and there's probably only one or two of them that's willing to get in his truck and drive to Waco to cut up a 
giraffe, <laughs> you know, and, and I've done that, you know, and so. Really? Um, so there's only 1,500 about that many? Yeah, in the whole world, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's not, I mean, that's why most people have never heard of a pathologist, a veterinary pathologist, because there's just not, they're not that many, many of us. Yeah. Um, and, and when you think, you know, most of them are certainly in the, in the U.S., but when you get into research, I mean, especially like diagnostic wise, there's way more diagnostic pathology in the U.S., but there's lots of it in Europe and England and, and even Indian places. I mean, they still do it. It's just the level here in the U.S. is the highest. So, but we have, um, you know, it's not. It's not something you come across every day, but it is, uh, it's something that it's easy to explain to people because a lot of people hear it and they're like, you know, what is that? Which it's real easy to say, well, if they cut a biopsy, a tumor off your dog, yeah, they send it to a veterinary <laughs> pathologist, not a human pathologist. So it's easy to explain to somebody that way. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, but then <clears> the fact that I like travel around and do autopsies and things, and, and that's always the question. Why in the world do people do autopsies? I'm like, well... Everybody wants to blame somebody, so it's it was, the, it was the neighbor's fault. It was the veterinarian's fault. It was the 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 pet sitter's fault. It was you know the boyfriend's fault. It was somebody oh else's fault. God. They always want to blame somebody. Um, sadly, a lot of times what they learned was the dog you know died of heartworms, and it was your fault because you didn't give it the medicine. But you know, not always. I mean, just sometimes that's how it goes. But there's uh, everybody always kind of wants. That's kind of the first reason that people do it. And then the second one is a lot of herd health. You know, so I do a lot of these high fence, you know, exotic deer and, mm. and you know, sable antelope and that kind of stuff. Um, well, that's, you know, completely herd health. You got a $60,000 animal and you got a whole pen of them. You're, you want to know why it died. And so I do that. <clears throat> um, that would make a lot of sense because just, just for the fact of... Um... Yeah, like disease control and and virus control. Yeah. Like, and I know that uh, I had one of the clients quite a few years back that um, they raised a lot of white-tailed deer, and I remember them having a problem with all of a sudden the babies were all you know they were dropping like flies and they right. were having a really hard time keeping you know keeping them alive and, and a lot of the bottle babies were really they were really having a hard time with them. I could see yeah. where that would make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, that's your livelihood. And, you know? Yeah, and that to me that makes the most sense because I'm just kind of a poor, poor farm boy, you know, country yeah. boy, and so that makes total sense. Herd health totally makes sense. No Some brainer. of the other things, yeah. I just want to know. You know, I mean, I, I honestly go this one time did a um, an eight year old pet rabbit, and they called me on the phone and they said, "Well, I got to tell you the whole story." So, so my local veterinary school or local junior college I went to has a vet tech program. So I'd advertise to the San Antonio veterinarians, hey, does anybody have a um, any kind of veterinary equipment that you'd be willing to donate to this this vet tech program? Because they didn't have a lot of equipment. And so in one of the clinics all the way south side of San Antonio, Amigo Animal Hospital, they said, we, um, we have this ultrasound machine. It's like a roll around ultrasound machine. It works great, but we have a new one. So you're welcome to this one. And so oh. I'm like, great. So I go down there to get it. And it's like 250 pounds on this cart. And it's me and the girls from the clinic trying to put it in the back of my truck. Well, the phone rings. And so I say to the girls, okay, y'all, going back inside, we'll load this up in a second. And this, this guy calls me. He's like, I have this rabbit. Um, and I want an autopsy. And I'm like, well, um, you know, do you have a bunch of rabbits? No, I just had the one rabbit. Um, you know, do you have... Um, is it like young? No, it was eight. <laughs> Pet rabbits don't live to eight. Okay? Yeah. And, and I'm like, 
uh, you know, it's probably, you know, because I like try to talk people out of stuff all the time because yeah. I'm just that farm boy inside yeah, of me. Like, is still doesn't make know, a lot of sense to spend that money. And so he's like, no, we just, we just want to know. I'm like, okay, well, I'm, you know, at this veterinary clinic. Oh, well, I live in the apartment building behind that veterinary clinic. <laughs> but it was just crazy that it was that because it's all the way south side of San Antonio. I never go that far down there usually. Yeah. And, and, and so 90 seconds later, he comes walking around the corner with the rabbit. And the guy is like 250 pound, like bodybuilder. And so, 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 so I take the rabbit, I take the cash. I'm sadly, when I do a person directly, I have to pay cash because I don't want to deal with billing. You know, yeah. private. I'll bill veterinary clinics, but billing private field doesn't work. And, and I'm like, Hey, could you help me put this machine in this truck? And he's like, sure. <laughs> you know, but then I noticed he had like a Marine Corps tattoo, and so I'm like, "Well, military discount, you get fifty dollars off." So I gave him gave him some of his money back. <laughs> but it was, it was so funny how things go that way. And ever ever since I started doing pathology, it like goes like that so many times. Like I'll be driving through Austin, and I'll have a, a an autopsy in Austin, you know, or I'll be I'll be. Um, it just like even yesterday, they called me for an autopsy in Austin wasn't able to get up there um, and so i sent someone else to pick the animal up for me and then um, i would have gone up there and done it and come back and then i got another call from austin from the same clinic with another animal and so i just had the courier pick up both of them and bring them back to me and so um, it just it just goes like that for me all the time and yeah. i just I always just credit the lord for it because i just think just my life is just way too many things go like that in my life for me not to mm. for it not to be some outside source of guiding things. I no, think so. my whole life has been that. You know, it's really kind of crazy. If I tried to make sense of it or try to recreate it, people are like, oh, "How did you do it?" Like, I don't know if you want to do it my way. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was a lot. There was a lot of uh, intervention, you know, to get me where I was at. Um, but on so I, you know, I guess probably the the that all that's really cool but then also you think about like um just the consequences of death right like what that brings to mind i, I was just thinking about that you know big bodybuilder with the bunny rabbit you know mm -hmm. and wanting to know you know his answer to you know why why his bunny rabbit died mm -hmm. um but it's just it is it is really revealing how um how people do want to blame on that but then also just coming to the understanding that i don't know i was telling some friends of mine about you know, the beginning of the whole pandemic and everything. And it was, um, and people were really freaking out and stuff. And, um, and I don't know, dealing in livestock and, and being, a, you know, being country boys and around all that kind of stuff, you know, you are dealing with death on a fairly regular basis. I mean, it's effect of life. And when you are dealing with death on a regular basis, it forces you to contemplate, you know, mm -hmm. your mortality. <clears throat> and you need to come to terms with some of that stuff. It becomes something that is a little more prominent on your mind. Um, and, and you see it often and the, and you see the effects of it. I mean, there's a, it's a crazy deal to watch, watch livestock die and watch people die. I mean, that's, it's, it's disturbing, you know, and there's a smell to it and there's a whole lot of other stuff to it. And I see that people that live in town, don't experience it yeah rarely if ever you know um I, yeah i mean that's even like reproduction all that stuff i mean i just think animals have so living in around farm animals there's so much 
mm. education about life. It really know? is. It's so much. It's so much in, so much truth in creation. Yeah. Right. I mean, like you just can't deny it. I mean, like none of us out here on the farm are questioning what a female is right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, and like, and it's are, are there deviations from the norm? Hey. You know, sure, there's, there's deviate, but what does that talk to you about? Well, that kind of talks to you about, you know, the fall of creation, mm-hmm. right? It just, it speaks to, you know, like that's, it's, we all can look at that and say that that's not the norm. And then it doesn't mean that, you know, I don't like that piece of livestock or that right. I, you know, it just means that it's just not, it's not the norm, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and it speaks to, you know, the fall of creation. It just yeah. tells you something about it, Right. And that's a sad deal that I see, you know, and we're trying to deny truth, you know, in creation, yeah. you know, what, what it's real, instead of contemplating it, instead of contemplating And I think that, you know, and those buddies of mine, I, I told them, it's like, you know, crazy part about that is that in my industry, you know, we lost a dog that year. We lost, you know, cause we have a, a lot of livestock around here. I lost one of my really good, you know, which was going to be a calf horse. A really good horse, really cool horse, mm-hmm. and just boom, colitis like boom, dropped mm-hmm. him dead, you know, quick, mm-hmm. and um, and it and it stung, man. I mean, it stung, and 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 but my kids had to contemplate it, yeah. right? I mean, it's it, it stinks, but it's a blessing too that we get to have those conversations. Yeah. Well, not I mean, I even you know as a veterinarian, I've actually had people you know they talk to me, they want to get a pet for their you know their kids or something and and a regular thing that people will bring to me which i think if you live on the farm this is like nothing somebody would ever say was more somebody who's not had that background they'll say to me well you know we have um you know i just it just seems like be so sad if the pet dies you know that the parent you know that the child will have to deal (coughs) with the death of the pet and and so i'm like okay so what's better that they learn to deal with death first from a cat or a dog or from grandma you know i mean it's just that's a natural part of life you're not going to protect them from death so why not teach them the process of life you're a puppy and you need a lot of care you you, then you come through your destructive puppy phase you know that needs a lot of you know protection of the house and then then they're protecting you for all this time and then they just go into this downward slope to where they want to protect you and then, you know, and then they can't, and then it comes to the very end to where you feel like what's the right thing to do here, you yeah. know? And, and that's another thing I tell owners is that pets, uh, you know, we have these memories of our pets and there's a point in the end where you're keeping the pet around. Um, and it's going to be the only memories you have is cleaning up poop because the dog couldn't go outside anymore. And, you know, it gets to the point mm-hmm. that it's going to corrupt your 12 years of positive memories are going to be corrupted no, by that end true. time. And, and that's when you had to, you know, do the right thing. And, and it's, it's, you know, a lot of people don't even, they'll say they want to be a veterinarian, but then they're like, Oh, but I can never, you know, euthanize a pet, you know? And, mm-hmm. but then in my experience, there was a little bit of time early in my career when I had some shelter medicine and stuff where we had to euthanize like healthy dogs. And so, so that sucks. I mean, yeah. Absolutely across the board. That sucks. But they're, couldn't find a home. They were aggressive. You know, I always I kind of, mm-hmm. and I managed to fix that. I'm at the place that I worked at where by the time I left, we weren't doing any more of that, but it was hard. But other than that, my entire career since 1992, so we're talking uh, 30 years now this year, um, I've always felt like I was very proud of the service that I provided 
to that family and to that pet and and it's life you know and i think your kids need to learn that and so i think it's it's a good part of life to see that whole phase of life not just even the death but the whole phase of life yeah and no better way to learn that from kids i mean from for your kids to learn that from than from pets i I agree i agree completely and just i mean there's so much to learn from them you know and you know obviously you know i like the horse end of things even more although i do have (laughs) we just bought man i tell you what sometimes i really ought to question myself (laughs) but uh, a couple days ago the first part of this week i bought um five bottle baby calves and um and um and you know i bought them with the intention of you know, like oh get these kids i'm gonna show them all what <laughs> get these kids out here fit i remember when i was a kid i had to bottle feed baby all uh, bottle baby you know all these calves and stuff and <clears throat> and i am working my butt off <laughs> yeah. getting bottle feeding them all and keeping them from the scours and oh my gosh i've been running and they're all you know that it but there's so much to it there's so much great stuff mm-hmm. to it that you know it, them just the fact i'm like nothing's dying you know not yet but you know all of them are, are doing well and whatever but just wrestling a calf to make him eat because he's gonna die if he yeah. doesn't know how and they don't know how to suck at this point on a bottle it's not the same nipple as a mama right, and right. you know they've gone a couple of days and whatever and we're out there you know wrestling these little calves and there's yeah. this one of those little heifers is strong man <laughs> <clears throat> and she will run from you uh, and she's she's she'll suck that bottle down but boy you got a wrestler to get yeah. her and them you know their frustration in it and you know and they're doing the right thing but they don't want to do the right thing because it's such a struggle for them and there's so many valuable things to learn from that. Yeah. Um, that uh, that I, I it's a shame <clears throat> that um, that so many live with that disconnect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just like the, you know that that opportunity that your that your dad you know did with you and yeah. got you a horse and you know just what it opened up you know what it opened up your reality to. Yeah. Well, and it's you know and. I'll be in trouble for telling this, but when my wife and I, we started dating and it just shows that how much of a disconnect between the two worlds can be. Right. So my wife had always, and she wasn't exactly a city girl. I mean, she's Stillwater, Oklahoma, you know, 40,000 people. So not, you know, big metropolis, but, but mostly, and they lived kind of in a house in the country and stuff and they'd had lots of pets and everything, but we bring her home this is like we just started dating and I bring her home and my dad had this stud horse and this stud horse was the most polite breeding horse you've ever seen in your life I mean, it was a thing of beauty i mean mm-hmm. and so because he would he would have the mare on a halter but the stud he would just leave free and he oh, would just wow. tell him what to do <clears throat> and so he would bring the mare in and he'd say okay you know let's see if she's ready and you know and she would come over he would come over and nibble on her neck and stuff and you know you could tell if she was gonna kick and and you know if she was ready and he's like say you stand over there and the horse would go and he would just stand over. he may eat if there's hay he'd eat hay i mean it was just like huh. oh business over here. i mean he took him to ropings he could do anything with this horse and if he didn't have like a certain halter on and was told his breeding time he was a, he was a gilding i mean it was unbelievable yeah and so he uh you know, and so then if she was ready, you know, then we'd tie her tail, you know, wrap her tail and clean her up and everything. And then, <clears throat> and then come over and breed, right? Well, you know, my, I just 
to me, it was like poetry. I mean, it was so beautiful the way this horse, the way he acted and just the way he just, just so polite and everything. Well, then, you know, they actually breed. <laughs> my poor life is sitting on the on the rail fence. And it's like, at this point, you can't really leave. <laughs> I mean, what do you do? And, and it was just such a different world. Because to me, it's like, that wasn't even weird. You know, that wasn't even... You, you, you know, but to her, <laughs> she's blushing and ready to go yeah, inside. <laughs> exactly. So she's wanting to run for her life, but she's like sitting on the fence, so she really can't. You know. And so, yeah, that's it. And it was hard for me to even wrap my brain around that being a, an issue. You know, but <laughs> I said I'll probably be in trouble for telling that. But she, she, she admits it's true. But she, it is true. Very... It is, it is different though, right? I mean, you just you, you take some of those things as just part of life, and yeah. you, you know, you're not looking at it as. <laughs> <laughs> something perverted or yeah, anything well, it's, it's just sex, like it's yeah breeding, it's just yeah, it's breeding them and yeah. There we go yeah that is kind of wild yeah. though <laughs> um and you uh, that's what i think what i uh want to do a lot with what i have here is been to open it up to to other youth groups to come out and and talk about like the structure of the horse and and how it relates to the structure, the you know, the skeletal structure of a human, and you know, what are the similarities, and you know, is that hoof, what is that hoof, or the same as you? It's you know, like the same thing as your fingernail, you know, and the way that it's, to, you know, but it's just amazing how it's made, and the amount of weight that that one fingernail carries, and yeah, yeah. you know, all of those things that it's, it's just incredible, you know. And then you go into something like the eyeball that is just like mind blowing, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, I think those things are really, really cool. I can't get off the of the eagle's eye. Yeah. <laughs> Look, that just is fascinating. Well, it is. I mean, that's why I'm. I mean, to me, the eye is actually not like like your kidney is like one organ. You know, your liver is one organ, even your lungs. You know, but the eye is like nerves, and it's like glands, and it's like you know collagen i mean it's like it's actually like a whole body you know it's almost like everything that the whole body has is all in the eye it's that little contained thing and so and like i said just how how in the heck you know we're trying so hard to make computers that can kind of understand things and and our eye can take light and turn it into thought i mean that's like <laughs> you know so much more than we can get with computers i mean that yeah. day will come and certainly computers can like recognize things and stuff now but it's it's a, such a different level than uh, than than taking light and making it into electricity and making it into thought and it's just it's crazy yeah yeah it's really kind of uh, um it's one of those things that um, we can be in awe of that little phone that's in your hand and what, you know, what all it does and what it can do. Cause like, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff. Right. And, but we're not in awe of, of creation and what it has. I mean, yeah. Like it's amazing. Yeah. And it's like so far beyond advanced than what that is that, yeah. you know, it's just, it's well, ridiculous. The that's where I love God can, God takes, you know, earth, wind and fire. He takes the simplest things and water <laughs> And, and can bring us to our knees. You know, he yeah. can just take the simplest element, you know, it is mm-hmm. oxygen and hydrogen. And, and we just, you know, we can build these things that we think are just Atomic unbelievable. Bomb and or and, and yeah. it's just like <clears throat> water defeats it all, you know? <laughs> and That's amazing. It's, it really is. And we want to try to 
give ourselves credit for everything, and we still just the simplest things of God are beyond yeah. beyond all of it. You know. God. Yes. Um, you know, I I had. Uh, have you have you um, have you diagnosed a lot of horses or or uh, seen a lot of EPM? Um, not much. Um, and and the biggest reason being more that I this area. I mean, certainly there's horses in this area, but mm-hmm. we're not in Kentucky. You know, I mean, right, it, right. it's and and so um, and then by the time. Um, it gets to the end because I'm mostly doing on horses. It's mostly autopsies. I mean, I get some biopsies, you know, right. from time to time. Um, but in horses, if uh, usually by that time they've kind of done the titers and everything, and the horse has got the right neurologic symptoms, and so they know what it is. And occasionally, if it's an insured horse, then the insurance says, "Okay, we want proof that that was what it actually was." And so I just don't do a ton of horse um, autopsies. Huh. I had, um, <clears throat> I had, I've had over the past uh, quite a few years, I've had several experiences with EPM and, um, and it was kind of wild. I had one a little while back, well, it was a little while back, but, um, where oddly enough, one of my, the best horses that I had come down with EPM after his big futurity and, and he went downhill and it was kind of a big ordeal. And, um, and then there was like a gap for like five years where I didn't see a horse with EPM hardly at all. And, and even at Rotama and talking to some of the other vets and stuff, and they're like, no, you know, we hadn't seen it. We hadn't seen it around. We hadn't, you know, and, but it was during the drought. Mm-hmm. And when the, when we started getting rain again, it like came back like crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and so when it came back, I saw it kind of run through my barn and um, I just saw it a lot and, and the vets were seeing it like crazy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, um, but one, there was one instance where I had one that came out and I was talking to the lady and we were talking about like the swirlology of a horse, right? And the swirls and, you know, some if they have one swirl in the middle between their eyes and their forehead, mm-hmm. then the old wives tell was that, you know, it was a smart horse. And if, if it was, you know, dead between the eyes, it was great. Right. But if it had multiple swirls, you know, like run, because it, <laughs> it was a nut, right? And there's other ones like the swirls that come up on the pole, like by the mm-hmm. pole. If they're balanced, if they're in the same area, or if one's way down the neck and one's way up high, then there's going to be more left brain, right brain, whatever. And there's different ones, and the swirls on the chest and all kinds of stuff. And we were just, you know, talking about that, right? Mm-hmm. And I had read that um, at the same time as the embryo is developing, and um, and it's forming the central nervous system. It's the same time that the the hair is being formed and those swirls. So it was correlating it between the central nervous system and the swirls. And the swirls would tell you if there was any abnormalities in the central nervous system. Oh, come on, that's kind of fine. It's kind of oh, maybe kind of fascinating. And you know, there maybe maybe there was something to it. Maybe it wasn't right. But it was just a, an observation that it was being developed at the same time. <clears throat> and I had a horse that um, that uh, was here, and and we were uh, we started riding it. Whatever, we, me and the lady were talking, and we were talking about the swirls and stuff. And she, and I said, you know, that I've had a couple horses over the years that I've seen that had like almost like a big cow licks on their necks, and um, and if they had the big cow lick and the hair was going the wrong direction or whatever else. Man, those were really kind of hard horses. Like I couldn't get them past certain things, and I just noticed that it was horses with the cowlicks on them. 
And I look down, I'm riding her horse, I look down, sure enough, and it had cowlicks on his neck. And I'm like, oh, well, but, you know, maybe not your horse. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Surely not. I'm like, I talk myself out of work. You know, right. it's, so, it's silly. Um, later on, we did a, a, a blood boost and drew some blood on him and run a titer test on him. And he had, like, I think his titer count was like 750 or something like that. And so we we're like, oh, uh, you know, that he, he's got it. And so, <clears throat> and oddly enough, her husband's a veterinarian. And, uh, and so we, we, she run the test, whatever else. And we treated him, she took him home, she treated him and stuff. And then we got him back up here to start getting him going again. Cause we wanted to kind of like help, you know, develop the, the, the neurological connections again by through training and stuff. And, <clears throat> and I started riding him and he looked so much better. Like when he came back, he just looked like a better horse. Mm -hmm. Right. And I rode him for about three weeks and, and, and he looked, I mean, looked, markedly i couldn't figure out what it was that looked different right mm -hmm. and i think there's a couple of factors right but um but he looked much better and i got off and i've been riding for about three weeks and i got off him one day and i was like his cowlicks are gone mm. like seriously the when she had taken pictures of it mm -hmm. and i took a picture of it and i sent it to her and i was like his cowlicks are gone that's what it is that's what's different and and I've seen it. I had another mare that was doing the same thing. She didn't have EPM, but um, but when we after they treated that horse, that the cowlicks went away. And this other mare, she was having a, a trouble with her knee, <clears throat> and we were going through it. And, and I went. Was, I wanted to treat her for EPM because you know I was there was a couple of different things, but um, she had that cowlick running up her neck, right? Mm -hmm. When I started to realize. She was doing a couple of funny things whenever I get ready to get on her rider. Mm -hmm. And um, and I got her knee taken care of. And as soon as I took care of her knee, that cow leg down her neck went away. And it was almost like the a, a grimace or a scr right, right, cringe, right. right? Where they're holding their skin tight because they right. can move their skin. Right, right. Right? And that's what that cowlick was yeah it's almost like a, a superficial muscle spasm yeah in, in and just like a growl or almost yeah. like a you know a flinch and one of this one of the signs or i guess yeah one of the signs of a possible epm is one nostril being higher than the other mm -hmm. is one of the observations and it's almost like a almost like a scowl or a right, grimace right. of the face too right yeah. that was fascinating that is fascinating and 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 you know, I think there's something to a lot of that stuff. And, and you know, pretty much starting in like late 1800s, 1900s, medicine became what they call evidence-based. No. Where medicine was all basically designed on, okay, you do an organized study, you know, you try to thing. And so most of your medicine as far as for drugs and everything like that is, is all evidence-based where they've done a controlled study and they know okay we give these people sugar pills we give these people this pill and it made a difference and so and that's evidence-based medicine before that was anecdotal medicine and that's um and to the extent so anecdotal is well my uncle had covid <laughs> and he died so so it's bad in my family you know or whatever you know and it's just right. it's just like these random facts and and things like this it's observational but without the follow-through study. A lot of what's happened, the problem is now, is evidence is like, well, it has to be evidence-based or it absolutely doesn't count. And, you know, the Chinese were, were diagnosing diabetes 6,000 years ago. Um, they would have a person pee on a rock, and if it drew ants, they knew that they had diabetes, and they treated it with acupuncture. Um, Get and, out. Yeah. You're... 
6,000 years ago. <laughs> and so, so, you know, we try to, you know, we try to act like, you know, everything that doesn't have like a clear study doesn't really matter. But really, in truth, you kind of need to consider both. I mean, you need to, and, and in cases to where you can do a control study, you need to and let it be evidence-based and then it can sure. become common practice. But if it's, um, you know, observational or anecdotal type stuff can be dangerous, you know, because you, yeah. know, you can just make up anything, you know, like, you know, I play Frisbee golf all the time and, and I, every time I'm close to the basket, I always put it in with my left hand and say, I've never missed a left-handed putt, you know, so I'm a hundred percent with my left-handed putts, <laughs> but you know, it's, that's how statistics and facts can lie as well. So even the evidence base can be, you know, um, yeah. can be messed up. It depends on who's gathering the evidence yeah. too. <laughs> but it is a, but I think you do a mistake when you say anything that hasn't been proven by science doesn't exist. I mean, that's like saying God doesn't exist. You know, that's what right. we do. You know, we don't accept it. And, and so, you know, I, I think there's, you know, 100% could be easily a, a neurological process that would explain if there's something wrong with your nervous system that you're, you know, having, you know, cowlicks or some, you know, different hair patterns. And, and it makes, makes total sense. Yeah. And never really heard about swirlology, you know, yeah. before, but, but I think you do have to be both. Yeah. And I think some people like right now with all the vaccines and everything, people want to go, um, you know, a hundred percent to the anecdotal and completely ignore all science because all science is bad. And that's a, that's a problem, you yeah. know, but it's also to go only science matters. Science is the, is, is is it you know that's broken too <laughs> you know we got to find that that middle place and yeah you can't you can't discount one over the other i mean yeah. they they both you know we have to have both right i mean yeah. it, if not we're not going to go any we're not going to get any further with it you know exactly. if, if you're not at least using any anecdotal to find out where to do the scientific right. study that's, right that's, you know i mean like you have to know where to start right because because otherwise what you do is you have a, a conclusion in mind yeah. and then you start into science to prove your conclusion that's a yeah. little bit broken you yeah. know <laughs> so i mean you can have a theory but you can't have a conclusion so yeah hmm that's fascinating yeah well cool man i enjoyed that yeah. i enjoyed the, uh that's that's a that's a uh that is a job that i had not considered at all yeah um and uh I don't know, just some cool things to contemplate about it. I think it's some really, I think it's important for other people to see and know the importance of, the importance of sports, the importance of, of horses or like livestock and, and the purpose and the things that it can be taught with your kids, what it opens up your minds to, but even just like somebody like you who, you know, allowing somebody else to dictate who it is that you are or what you are created for, Right. And, and, and finding other ways and, and realizing that through creation or through <clears throat> investing in that kid or investing in that person, like, you know, how are you going to find that true calling? Mm -hmm. I, I always joke that I had, I think I've had like every job under the sun before I came a horse trainer. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was even a weatherman in the air force. Oh, uh, like awesome. I, I, like I did everything yeah, right. Yeah. I, exotic game handler. I was like, I, you know, worked as a welder. I'm mean, like everything under the sun before I found horses. And you know, it, I was a late bloomer and took to it a way, way later than most guys did. Um, but it was that background of all, learning all those other jobs, yeah. what not to do, what I didn't want to do that made me really good at what I did. 
Well, um, and you know, this is me. So in the military, so my last eight years in the military, I worked at the Institute of Surgical Research. And so we, um, the Army Hospital here in San Antonio, the Burn Center is what everybody knows, but it's actually part of, the Burn Center is part of Institute of Surgical Research. So I worked there while we were in two wars. We were in Iraq and Afghanistan both. And like the soldiers used to be told, hey, take a rag and a stick. You know, if somebody's bleeding, you're supposed to make this tourniquet, you know, out of a rag and a stick, you know. And, and somebody's like, hey, why don't we give them a tourniquet, <laughs> you know. And so, but that had to be designed and developed and tested and everything. Well, that's and right. So, I forgot about the so, fact that you, so, you did that. Yeah. So I was part of that. And like all of these blood stop products, you know, they, they um, you know, we had to use animal models to say which one works best and and you know rule that down to kind of just you know the one or two products that the military uh, ended up buying and so that's a um shoot where was i going with that i don't know um so the blood stop stuff that i use in in my um in, in, for my horses that I that I can get at the vet store is, is that the same thing as the blood stuff that you use? Um, could be. Um, it's I mean because a lot of those products are similar. They're they're all yeah. kind of um, clotting like agent of some clotting agent, right? And so because I mean, basically we were still using um, for the soldiers we were still using cotton gauze, which again they think the mm. Egyptians probably were the first people to use cotton gauze to make people stop bleeding. So technology mm. didn't change for you know <laughs> six to eight thousand years, and finally someone's like, hey you know, maybe it would be better because, you know, there's a lot of things that make you bleed. I mean, bleeding makes you bleed, but then when you bleed a certain amount, you run out of clotting factors. But drop your temperature through four degrees, and you also, your clotting factors don't work. And so, um, so oh, you know, wow. if someone's injured, they get cold, you know. And so with the, the products, they're able to basically make your blood clot no matter what, you know. And, and it's really saved a ton of lives. It's been a really um, kind of a total game changer you know, for what it has done for the soldiers to have these between the tourniquets and the bloodstock products. Um, so when you were developing the type of tourniquets that you were that, to use and what what not to use and how it worked and what it, <clears throat> that's fascinating. Well, and, and I don't want to get too much credit for it because basically I was the guy, I was, you know, the using animal models. So they're the ones that designed them and everything. I was just part of the research, you know, helping to say this one worked better than this one. And it caused this kind of damage. And, you know, there's all sorts of things because everybody has these ideas, right? And so we're trying to go from the the idea to, you know, to a product. And and that's where, oh, I don't know where I was going now. That's where it was, was unique because my dad's a carpenter. So I was raised doing construction, you know, and and my dad won't touch a piece of wire laying on the ground. I mean, he's that, he just... He knows it'll shock him, you know, <laughs> and so, whereas my mom could wire houses, you know, and so, and when I'm growing up, if the washer broke, my mom fixed it. And, and I literally always thought it was a joke that the, you know, the, the Maytag man was always like bored because they didn't have anything to do. It was supposed to mean that Maytags never broke, but I thought it was because everybody's mom fixed the washer. <laughs> and so I really did think that when I was a kid, but. But so I go into these meetings with these brilliant people in, in, you know, doing the research through the military. And these people are like so much smarter than me. I mean, you know, intellectually, book-wise, academically, way ahead of me. Yeah. But they all address this problem in the box because they all learned in the box. They were all like really successful, smart people throughout the whole process. And I'm you know, a carpenter and a veterinarian and a scientist. And so like, I look at the same problem 
and I would say, well, why don't, why don't we do it this way? And they've regularly thought I was like genius because the <laughs> ideas there, but it had nothing to do with how smart it was. It was just that my process came through the different things that I did and, uh -huh. and the work that I did, even with horses and everything else. And just, you know, understanding animals differently, you know, I mean, even like in pigs, um, like some of the studies, and I know some people are, you know, animal research, but I really felt my job in animal research was protecting those animals and making sure they were taken good care of and they weren't wasted. And yeah. so, so well, I know. How else would you? Uh, yeah. And yeah. I've had lots of people who protest against pigs, you know, or animal research. And uh, they're like, so what have you done? You know, so you held a sign up. So <laughs> yeah. you're against it. Yeah. Still, still see you wearing leather shoes, but you know, yeah. and, and that, but I'm like, I've dedicated my life to making sure the animals are, are, are treated right. So when you get to my level, come back and talk to me again. Right. You know, because people, they just have a cause and they, you know, but anyway, so um, with these, um, with the animals, you know, making sure that, you know, or with these people and you know, these ideas that I would come to were just very different. Um, and it kind of goes back to that broken brain that I have, which is a blessing. You know, it's like yeah. the best thing the Lord could have given me was this. And, and I didn't have, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to take all the credit. I didn't have all the answers, but frequently my solutions to the problems were completely different than a group of six PhDs that were way smarter than me because yeah. of growing up with my dad doing construction, you know, yeah. and, and understanding just, you know, in orthopedic medicine is really just glorified carpentry, you know, and so a lot of the research was like orthopedic research and stuff. And so, so it was just, that I just naturally understand a lot of those things from those jobs. And so you had those jobs on purpose. And that's where I know I think people, so many people think that their life is an accident. And I just think that our life is just a series of, of processes that the Lord needs to take us through to get us to where he needs us to be today. Oh, so true. It's crazy. I had one just the other day that actually the one that, that I was saying at the mayor that had the cowlick up her neck, right? And she had a problem with her knee. And I noticed at one of the shows, I um, I was walking her back to the stall and there was kind of a slanted concrete, right? And she'd lost her front shoe on that leg that uh, was kind of showing me that she had a problem. And then the vet, the farrier was telling me, she, you know, she, you pull her foot back straight and you go, you, she's fine. But when you pull it out to the side to like nail the, nail the shoe on, she's uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. And so I took note of that. And then I she lost, she lost a shoe when we were showing and I was walking her back on that slanted ground. And then the slanted ground, when it was um, slanted from, it was her left leg, left front. <clears throat> when it, the ground was slanted high on her left side, slanting down to the right, she darn near fell down, right? When walking, and she just really did not want to step that way with that shoe gone. And so we get to talking to me to the farrier. And I was like, hey, how about, I think... That her that her knee joint is, I think she's got some arthritis that's showing that must be giving her trouble on the outside of that joint, right? So, my knee was giving me trouble two years ago, and I put a different you know deal in my insole to put the arch to it, and it relieved the pain on the. I thought it was a meniscus tear, and it was actually just kind of like the way my knee was giving me trouble. And while on my knee, I thought I was gonna have to have knee replacement there for a while. Now all of a sudden, I'm fine, right? And I told him, I told him, said, you know, how about we trim her? How about we trim her on the outside? How about we trim her up a little bit more on the outside of that foot, and and open, and then hopefully that would open that joint up on the knee more. And he goes, well, how about instead of doing that? We just put a little weather, leather wedge on the inside. That way, if it doesn't work, we can pull that back out. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> even smarter, right? And we did it 
all of a sudden the mare when we get ready to hop on her to ride her she would kind of like suck on her mouth like she nursed and she'd salivate really bad and then you know it was showing up with the the cowlick on her neck and uh you know what if it was behavioral or whatever voila man we did that and within two days she's not salivating she's not sucking her dick and the cowlick went straight away off her neck and it was just all discomfort it was all you know it was it was uh uh behavioral but it was in response to discomfort right and she's just happy as a lark right. now i mean going around just you know but it's that my knee if my knee hadn't right, given right, me the right. trouble if i hadn't had to put the insoles in and whatever else i wouldn't have come to that conclusion that's so fascinating stuff right yeah. the yeah. things that you're given where you're feeling like oh and with the time when it was happening to me i was like all i could do think about was like golly yeah. what i can't believe my knee's gonna go out and i'm gonna be one of broken down old man that can't yeah. <laughs> yeah. well this is something i should feel like the lord gave this to me recently uh, and it's, it's hard. And, you know, anytime anybody's going through a hard time, you know, mm-hmm. the last thing you can say is, oh, this is on purpose. You know, I mean, the <laughs> Lord, the Lord has a plan. The Lord, you know, this, <clears> you know. know. but I really think, you know, in the, in creation, you know, we're studied, cre- you know, the beginning Genesis at church. And so, um, at each, the, the end of each day, God looked at it, you know, he just made darkness and light. And he's like, oh, it's good. You know, and like it is, oh, it's you know every day. So he made, he did it, and it's good. You know, and and honestly, you really think the earth was that impressive when it was this? Oh, there's darkness and light. It probably wasn't, but but God knew what the picture, what it was, where it was going. You know, it's just like when somebody pours a slab and they can see a house. You know, that's what God did. God poured a slab and said the house is going to be good. It's going to be good. And and he and he made you know separated the oceans and the mountains. And he knows that he's gonna, there's going to be green grass on it and animals and it's good. You know, and so so God knows the end picture. And so yeah. at the end of each day, he looked at it and he said, it's good. And and what the Spirit said to me recently is that that we, um, you know, no matter what happens to you today, I think at the end of the day, the Lord, the Lord knows the picture at the end. Mm-hmm. And he says, it's good. It's good. And I, I think I think at the end of every day, the Lord says, it's good. And and he looks down on you and he says it's good, even when you're limping and your knee hurts and it's like yeah. because he knows he knows how he's going to use it. He knows you're going to right yeah. exactly. He knows exactly. the purpose in the in making it so that he and he knows that you know he has right. the end in mind right. right? And, and we so we're so temporal right. We're so like right now and yeah. now like I'm, I'm dealing with whatever with my kids or right, right. you know like I'm I'm having this trouble where and it is it's like man just. It's so hard to look beyond where you're at and so so much stuff and pick your head up and realize that, yeah, you know what? It might be just good. Yeah. You know? I mean, it, some days it sucks. I mean, there's no way you can see it as good. You just have to, you know, have to trust. Well, it's like that with us. I think that's the hard part as a kid, right? That when you're growing up and you're, and, and you're, you know, stuck in a classroom where you're, you know, feeling less than and whatever else, it's hard to see the, the, the good in that, right? right? And like, how well, how in the heck is he going to make this good, right? right? And look what he did, yeah. like that. And that's what's that's the cool thing. That's the thing that I think that kids need to see, right? Yeah. They need to know and they need to realize that you know it is good. It yeah. stinks at the time, and I know yeah. it does, you know. Yeah, but it it's, never works to tell anybody that. No. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's sure good to to come to a point in life where you know it's true. You it know? is, and that's where I I, I am, and and. 
I know I'm going to have some suck days, you know, yeah. but I know God knows the end picture. So. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's the ones like you that's gone through what you have that, that where people can find their encouragement from. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's where, that's where <clears throat> the struggles that kids are going through and, and they're, you know, and we're dealing in adults too. Right. I mean, it, all of us, you know, it's just being reminded, right. I, it was what we just talked about on Wednesday when we came out of the class, our, our, uh, our Bible study on Wednesday, Mike was talking and it was like, man, all I could think of was like thinking about, um, how, um, oh, what was the, the, oh, it was in Romans 12 too. um, that renewing your mind daily, right? That after all of this and what he, he that's what he meant. That's what he means by, you know, renewing your mind daily. And it means aligning your thoughts with his. Right. right. Not, not, you know, you know, whatever your thoughts are, but realizing that, you know, the creator is the one who is, you know, kind of in charge and he's working in you. Yeah. Like, you know, finding the, you know, okay, so I'm worthy enough to like torture a little bit today. So that <laughs> might make something out of me. You know, the struggle is, you know, it's worth the struggle. Right. right. And it, and it was worth those things because that's what he had in mind, you know, by the yeah. end of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That is cool. Well, man, I enjoyed this. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, cool. We'll have to have you back out, especially whenever I start to figure out and have new questions. And like you got me all thinking about the eyeball. Now. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to go like pick your brain on all these other different things. Sounds yeah. cool. I'm all for it. Cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time too.